Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. With me, your host, and the person who just completed the survey that shows that 10 out of 10 dentists recommend that you do not kill Cecil the Lion. Bad idea. Alright, you are listening to episode 45, Turkey Hunting Myth Busting. We are 8 days, 0 hours, 46 minutes, and 33 seconds away from alligator hunting season in Alabama. I have been in the process of getting a lot of stuff together for my alligator hunt. One of those things has been to make sure that my boat, which I keep on my lake in Chilton County, Alabama, is ready for the big rivers and for alligator hunting. Now this boat stays on an 80 acre private lake stays there year-round. I've not had it out of that lake in about five or six years. The only reason it was off of the lake at that point in time was to go get the carburetor cleaned at the shop. So I took the boat to the shop to get her an alligator hunt tune-up, a new carburetor, a new impeller, new spark plugs, a fuel line flushing, an oil change, and $500 later I get a phone call from the repair shop telling me that my motor has a blown head gasket or a burned valve and that it's going to cost me no money to get her fixed up. But here's my problem. I don't have three or four weeks for a burned valve to get fixed. And the only way that I'll know if it's a blown head gasket is if they take it apart. If they take it apart and it's not a blown head gasket, it's a burn valve, then I have to have them put it back together so that I can take it alligator hunting because there's no way I'll have my motor back before the alligator hunt if it's the burn valve. So, as of right now, I'm still up in the air. Don't know whether my boat has a burn valve or a blown head gasket, but I don't care. I went and picked her up and working on rewiring my lights to get ready to take this boat out to the river, going alligator hunting. I'm stoked. Those eight days can't go by quick enough, even though I sure do hate to wish myself eight days older right now. And something else that's right around the corner is turkey season in the state of Alabama. It is merely 222 days, 9 hours, 45 minutes, and 58 seconds to opening day of turkey season in Alabama. It's a lot longer wait, so alligator hunting's got me a little bit itchy right now. 
So I'm excited about that as well. Hey, one housekeeping thing before we get started. You guys know that I have been running a contest for the past couple of months for those who are leaving reviews on iTunes. And at the end of each month, I draw the name of someone who has left a review on iTunes. And that lucky person gets a t-shirt, a Turkey Hunter Podcast t-shirt. And July's winner of the t-shirt contest is Rog Lodge, R-O-G-L-O-D-G-E. So Rog Lodge, shoot me an email to andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. Send me your address and your t-shirt size. I will have the t-shirt printed and mailed to you. I'm going to guess you'll get that in about a week or so from the time that you email me. And thank you very much for leaving that review. I appreciate that. You guys know that on pretty much every episode, I'll read a review that one of you has posted. And I do that because if you take the time to leave a review for me on iTunes, then I want to say thanks. With that being said, a special thank you this week to JWK0904. JWK0904 said, A cure for the turkey hunting affliction. Five stars. The Turkey Hunter Podcast is a great way to get a year-round fix on turkey hunting. Andy is a natural host with entertaining and informative guests. His podcast helps make my daily commute much more informative and educational. JWK, thank you very much for leaving the review. I encourage anyone who has not left a review to go onto iTunes to do that, please. Leave me a five-star rating and a review, and you will be entered into the contest to win a t-shirt. Now, the contest is going to run through the end of August, and then I'm going to retire it. So we'll have one more winner for leaving reviews, one more drawing, one more winner, I'm going to retire that contest and come up with something new. I'm thinking something along the lines of a Twitter contest, possibly. As some of you know who follow me on Twitter, I'm a big fan of Twitter. I like it a lot. I like it a lot better than I do Facebook. So I'm considering doing something there. So stay tuned. We'll talk about that a little bit more in upcoming weeks. But before I get into the show, I want to wish a good friend of the show, Josh Adkins, a happy birthday. Josh's birthday was on the 4th of August, and a little birdie named Leanna told me about the birthday. So, happy birthday, Josh. Thanks for being such a good friend of the show. I wish you many more happy birthdays and a very successful turkey season next year. Right now, we're going to jump on into this week's episode. So, as turkey hunters, we hear often from people who do not turkey hunt as much as we do or from people who don't turkey hunt at all but have just heard some things about turkey hunting. And we hear from them lots of myths about the sport. Sometimes these myths get spun so much and told so much that they become fairly believable. Now, I'm going to tell you that Pretty much nothing is impossible in the turkey woods. Well, maybe nothing short of charging a turkey and killing it with a bayonet on the end of your shotgun. But there are certain situations that arise when the odds are stacked against us. These relatively common occurrences have a very common outcome. 
the common outcome is going home empty-handed. But there are things that we can do to shift the odds a bit more in our favor and not only bust a myth about turkey hunting, but also bust a beak on a turkey. I want to talk about three of those myths today. Now, when these situations arise in the woods, we need to have a little bit more confidence when they come up. And what I'm going to share with you today are some ways to turn the odds a little bit more in our favor, but these are not the end-all, be-all, cure-all solutions for these issues that come up. But we're going to talk about some of these myths and work on busting these a little bit. So the first of the three myths, you can't call a turkey across a creek. Turkeys fly across creeks every day. If the creek is in their home range, they don't think anything about it. They fly across creeks to go to hens, to go to food sources, to go to roost, to get away from predators. It's nothing to them. It's no different than you're walking around a chair in your living room to go to the bathroom. It's an obstacle that's in the way, but it's not an impassable object. It takes the turkey a little bit more effort to get across it, but the turkey will cross it. Now, the one thing that I'm gonna tell you about getting a turkey to cross a creek is make it easy for him to do. If this is a big, wide creek or body of water, maybe it's a lake, maybe it's a river, then position yourself where the woods are pretty open or in an edge of a field along the creek or river or lake. And if you're gonna position yourself along the edge of a field that butts up to the lake or the river or the creek, and the turkey can look across there and see into that field, you probably wanna make sure you have a decoy out there or else it's gonna be a hard sell on that turkey to get him to come across. But a turkey doesn't wanna fly across a big body of water into a thicket. So if you can find an area that's open, 100 yards, 200 yards of some big hardwoods or big pine trees with very little underbrush and understory, set up in there and call and work that bird and see if you can't get him to come across the creek. Now, if you're trying to get a turkey across a small creek or a ditch, then don't set up in the open. In fact, don't set up too close to the creek where the gobbler can see across the creek and realize that there is no hen over there. Remember, the hen is supposed to come to him. So if he looks over there and he does not see a hen where he knows the hen should be, then he is not going to come across the creek. He's not going to put forth the effort to come back across a creek if there's no hen standing where he last heard her or close by where he last heard her. So back off of the creek bank a little bit, set up, do your calling, get just out of sight from that creek, and try to set up in an area where the creek banks are not very steep so that the turkey can easily walk across the creek or the ditch. And if it's possible, an area where the water is not too deep in that creek. Now again, that turkey will fly or hop over that creek if the water's too deep, but if he can walk across it, you're making it easier on the turkey to come to you. That's the name of the game. These obstructions that come between us and turkeys that hang them up are hang-ups for turkeys just because they're more difficult for a turkey to navigate. A turkey doesn't want to fly. A 20-pound gobbler does not want to fly across a creek or a lake or a river, but he'll do it if he thinks that love 
is waiting for him on the other side. They do it all the time. I've had it happen twice that I know of in my years of turkey hunting. Once this year, when we were hunting in Indiana, we had a turkey gobbling on the other side of a ditch or a small creek from us. And the turkey walked up and down the creek bank until he found an area where he was comfortable walking across the ditch where the water wasn't deep, where the banks weren't steep. He didn't have to exert a lot of energy, didn't have to put forth a lot of effort to come across it. And he crossed it, walked right into a field where I was sitting on the edge, started strutting, drumming, and coming right into where we were set up. The time before that, I actually had a gobbler come across the Coosa River in Alabama, which is pretty wide. This is a river where people ski quite frequently. So this is a wide river. This turkey flew across the river and into a cow pasture where I was set up on the edge. Now granted, he had hens with him that morning. His hens had flown over there. But I'm telling you the story to prove to you that turkeys will fly across a creek. So don't give up on them. If you've got a creek or a body of water between you and that turkey, make it easy for that turkey to get to you. Don't give up on him. Now if he's not the only turkey around, you may choose to leave him and go to another bird that's easier to get to, that you can set up closer to, and that you can set up with no obstructions or no obstacles between the two of you. I would do that over a bird that I've got to try to talk across a body of water. But if he's the only bird in the game, then work him. Be confident. You can call him across there. He got on that side of the creek somehow, some way. He'll come back across. Myth number two, another obstacle in the way can't call a gobbler across, through, or over a fence. It's not much different than water here. Turkeys do it all the time. That fence is nothing to them unless you're trying to call him across it. And then it becomes a little bit more difficult. So again, you want to try to make it easy on that turkey. So look for an area where the fence is down. Maybe a blowdown has fallen across the fence and knocked the fence down. Maybe it's knocked down the top two strands of barbed wire on the fence where the turkey can just hop over it without exerting a lot of energy. Or find an area where a strand of barbed wire is broken along the bottom of the fence. Find an area where the deer are going underneath the fence. Those deer trails are great places for turkeys to come across a fence. The other thing I'm going to tell you with the fence is that it's very much like the small creek or the ditch. Don't set up too close to that fence. Give that gobbler some room and give him the desire to cross that fence. Now, if you can hunt the property across the fence, you may just want to snug right up to the fence and put your shotgun through it and try to call him to you that way. You don't have to worry about calling him across the fence in that case. But if it's a property line, then back off of that property line, back off of that fence Don't let him expect to walk up to that property line where that fence is and strut back and forth for a hen that he thinks is right there on the line. Make him come across that fence and look for you. Give him that spot where he can come across easily. Myth number three. You can't call a gobbler away from hens. Okay, this one out of the three is probably the closest to being true, but you can do it. This is never my first approach for a hen-up gobbler. I'm never going to try to call him away from the hens and to me first. 
the first thing I'm going to do is try to call the hens to me. If I can get the hens to come to me, he's coming and I'm going to be eating turkey for dinner. The second thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to try to determine if there are any subordinate birds in the area or with the group of turkeys that the gobbler is with and I'm going to work those subordinate birds. I'm going to work them by being patient and persistent. Those subordinate birds know that they do not stand a very good chance of breeding hens while the dominant bird is around. So they will break away a lot of times and come in to you. They're typically not going to come in gobbling and raising cane. So you have to keep your eyes and ears open. But if you know there's subordinate birds with them, then you can call those subordinate birds away from those hens. Another thing that I'm going to try on a hen up gobbler is I'm going to try to get ahead of that group or flock of turkeys. I'm going to try to figure out where they're going and I'm going to do my best to get there before they do. In that case, I don't have to worry about calling a gobbler away from a hen. I'll just have them all come out there to me. Now, if none of those options work for you or none of those other options are a possibility for you and that gobbler with hens is the only bird in the area that you know of. You're going to start working him. And again, with him, you're going to be patient and persistent. What you're trying to do is just hang in there with him until either he gets bored with the hens, which probably is not going to happen all that quick, if at all, or for the hens to get bored with him and to leave him. You want him to try to slip away to meet the new girl that's calling to him. Now, you're not going to blow him up with a bunch of calling. You're going to give him just enough to let him know you're there, that you're not going anywhere, that you're going to hang around, and if those other hens are not paying him a lot of attention, you just might get him to break away. If you'll recall when I had Cuz Strickland on the show, and Cuz told a story, and I think it was the story of his most recent successful turkey hunt, where he saw these birds in a field. He sat up on the edge of the field and started calling, and he said it was quite some time but the gobbler got away from the hens and turned and walked right up there to him and he shot him again this is something that you got to stick with you got to make it happen you never know if the bird that's with those hens is the dominant bird or not if he's a subordinate bird and the dominant bird got separated from the flock earlier that day the dominant bird may show up and that subordinate bird may peel away and come on in to you now you guys know that I'm not ashamed to tell you when I screw up because they're learning opportunities, not just for me, but for you as well. So I'm happy to share them and I'm always happy to laugh at myself. So several years ago, I was hunting my property in Chilton County and I was sitting on a road where I could see about 200 yards before the next bend in the road. And there were two turkeys gobbling just around that bend and they were gobbling their brains out that morning. So I'm sitting there and I'm calling to them and they're responding, I'm calling and they're responding and they're coming, they're getting closer. And I look down there and I see a turkey come around the curve in the road. And I said, oh yeah, we're in business. It's gonna be a long walk for him to get from that curve 200 yards down the road to me, but we're gonna make it happen this morning. Then I see another turkey come around the curve in the road and I think, all right, great, they're both coming. Then I see another turkey come around the curve in the road and another one. And now I'm starting to not feel as confident. So I ease my binoculars up to my eyes and I look down the road and I see two hens and two gobblers. 
and I thought, crap, this is not going to be as easy as I thought it was. So I kept calling to the turkeys, and there's a food plot to my right about 150 yards down the road from me. And I watch as the two hens come up the road and turn and go into the food plot. And I watch as the two gobblers follow the two hens. So now I'm thinking, okay, I can get up and I can cut the distance and try to call, or I can sit here and call and see if they'll break away from the hens. So I decided to sit there. Truth be told is not normally what I would do. Normally I would get up and I would cut the distance and I would try to get closer to that field, if not even up to the edge of the field where the field and the road meet, even if I had to belly crawl to get there. But that day I didn't move. I sat there and I continued to call. The turkeys were gobbling. And after those gobblers had been in that field for about 15 minutes, I see a turkey come out of the field and start walking down the road towards me. And it's one of the gobblers. And about 15 seconds later, here comes the second one around the corner of the field into the road. And the two gobblers are walking straight towards me. Again, they're roughly 150 yards out. Got a little bit of time to wait. And I'm watching them, watching them. The second bird was the strutter. And I'd made my mind up I was killing the second bird. They left the hens. And I watched as those turkeys walked and covered that 150 yards. I'd made my mind up to shoot the second turkey. By the time the first turkey got to me, the second turkey was not in range. The first turkey is about three yards from me, standing in the road, looking dead at me. And he's so far to my right, is at about the three o'clock position. There's no way I can swing on him as a right-handed shooter to get a shot at him. And with him being that close, I know that when turkeys are that close, you don't stand a very good chance of quick drawing one because my experience is when you try to quick draw one that's so close to you, they will jump and fly. And shooting at a flying turkey is not something that I want to be doing. So I wait and I watch as the second gobbler continues to walk to me while the first gobbler is standing there staring at me. The second gobbler comes up, he gets within gun range, and I have to still sit there and wait on him to walk to where I don't have to move my gun as much to make a shot at him. So finally he does, and he is about 15 yards from me. The first bird is still standing there looking at me. He's not been alarmed yet, but he knows that something's not right. So as I move to make my shot on the second turkey, the first turkey freaks out. When he does, the second turkey starts to freak out. And I shot at that turkey three times and knocked three feathers out of that bird and still have no idea where that turkey is. But what I took away from that hunt is, well, first of all, I should have just shot the first turkey. When I realized that there was that much of a distance between the two of them, I should have just shot the first turkey when he got in range and not worried about shooting the strutter. But that's beside the point. But what I realized is that calling gobblers away from hens can happen. And it does happen. It's not something you're going to do every time you go out. And if you do, call me and teach me how. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. Patience and persistence. So those are just three popular turkey hunting myths that I wanted to lay to rest today. As you already know, there are a lot more myths floating around. And I will attempt to tackle some of those other myths in a future episode. Now, before I sign off for the day... I want to remind you to check your state and local game laws before the fall season begins. 
Some states are shortening their fall seasons and they are lowering their bag limits as well. New York, I'm talking to you. So anyone listening to the show in New York, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, your season is going to be much shorter. And I think the number of turkeys that you can take this fall season has been lowered as well. And I don't want you guys getting in trouble because the law changed and you didn't know that it changed. So be sure to check out those state game laws. Make sure that you're doing the right thing out there. And don't forget that those laws are put into place to protect our resources, being the wild turkey in this case. And we need to keep as many of those around as we can so we'll have some to hunt next year. All right, the last thing I have for you is that it's still a good time to be planning your out-of-state turkey hunting trip this year. And if you want to go on a great one, then you can go to www.diymerriamsturkeyhunt.com. Purchase my ebook where I will share with you everything that you need to know from where to stay, where to fly into, where to rent a car from, where to get your tags from, where to hunt turkeys, all on public land. And these are Merriam's turkeys that you'll be hunting. So if you want to finish your Grand Slam or start your Grand Slam and you need a Merriam's, go check out the website, buy a copy of the book. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I know that you'll enjoy the hunt. This is a hunt that I went on with my buddies in 2014. And we absolutely wore the turkeys out. We killed 12 turkeys in five and a half days on this piece of public land where I tell you where to go, where to hunt, where to fly into, all of that stuff. So go check the website out, get you a copy of the book, start planning your trip for 2016. You will not regret that one, I will guarantee you. That's all I've got for you tonight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.